0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hi, my name is Frances Sachs, and I'm a host on New Books Network. I'm joined today by Glenn W. Olson and Terry Lee Brussels, Russell Rogers, and we're going to be discussing their new book, 50 Years of Polyamory in America. Glenn and Terry, welcome to the
0: show. Thank you. Hi. Good to see you, Francis. You too.
1: Can you both start by telling me a little bit about your backgrounds and um, your involvement in polyamorous communities? Okay. Um. Do you want
2: to start? Go right ahead, Terry. Okay. Right. So I, um, Len and I both read Stranger to Strange Land when we were fifteen years old, and Len uh, was my first water brother, uh, based on the book you know uh, by Robert A Heinlein, which basically means we choose each other as family and it seems to work pretty well since we're still our family 53 years later. Wow. Um now I founded uh Live the Dream in 1987 which was a spin-off of uh Family Synergy which was founded in 1971. So polyamory goes, you know, current polyamory goes back pretty far. Um Live the Dream still meets today, and we are an education and support group for people interested in multiply-committed relationships, group marriage, and group living. Um, Professionally, I'm a hypnotherapist, coach, uh, sales trainer, and I help other coaches, hypnotists, uh, build their practices since 1995. I do a lot of uh, poly-counseling since I uh, ran my family's matchmaking service Um, marriage-minded introductions for 40 years along with my hypnotherapy business, uh, I've got quite a bit of knowledge about relationships. (laughs) Um, So I do uh, coaching in that area and help people get rid of jealousy that they don't want to experience and uh, be able to communicate better with their partners. And I do private sessions as well as the
0: Live the Dream meetings
2: on that. Wonderful.
0: Yeah. I've I've also been um, in the alternative sexuality community and polyamory communities for a long time um again started in high school reading science fiction and reading alternative uh literature uh is something that brings new ideas to people all the time and uh, this one uh posited the idea of why do i have to be jealous um do i do do i have to only have one relationship one girlfriend um you know, is it a problem if my best friend also likes my girlfriend? And various books of the era were going, well, maybe not. And I said, well, yeah, maybe not. And so, um, I began s- some explorations, made a long group of friends, a longtime group of friends. Terry is one of them. We've been friends since high school. Um, and we just, I just had that be part of my life. Um, the, uh, uh The reason that uh, one of the reasons that i wound up writing this book with terry is that over the years i've gone to just about every organization that was in existence in the 70s 80s and 90s met the people saw what they were doing uh, made some friendships and kind of got an idea of what people were thinking and what they were creating Uh, i was just fascinated by it Um, and so when the time came to actually talk about that history um, Terry and I sat down and pooled all of our resources and all of our um, uh, all of our contacts and all of the history that we had built up in documentation and things and turned it into this book, Fifty Years of Polyamory in America. And while it's a history, it also is forward-looking. Um, we I, I, we do talk about at the end of the book what's happening right now at the very moment and what may be in our future. So, I'm
2: and excited our- about it. Our next book, which we're already thinking about, will deal with all those people that we did not meet originally, because we didn't meet everybody. And we're probably going to be interviewing people that have been uh, educating their communities about polyamory for, let's say, 10 years that are still doing it. So that'll be a whole new book on the subject. We didn't meet everyone. Yes. Do you feel like the polyamory
1: community is pretty centralized, the one that you you exist within, or do you feel like there are a billion different offshoots of different communities?
2: Oh, there are many offshoots, different communities, especially now with Zoom available. Live the Dream is doing uh, things on Zoom. We've had people join us from other countries when we have one of our meetings. Uh, I think that during the pandemic, when Zoom became the norm instead of, you know, the, the unusual thing, um, things became a lot less centralized. Mm. Yeah. So would
1: you mind giving a brief overview overview of the book, 50 Years of Polyamory in America?
0: Yeah, 50 Years of Polyamory in America. We, we picked the year 1967 to start our recitation because that was a good starting point. Although uh, Americans have been doing some types of non-monogamy for as long as people have been on this continent. Um, the various indigenous tribes had various kinds of marriage costumes that did not very much look like uh, uh, Western European monogamy. Uh, and the settlers that came in in the in the 1600s and 1500s were pretty shocked about some of the things that they they found with the Algonquin nation and things like that. Um, and in America, in the in the 1800s, we had uh, a period of, of uh, expansion of of knowledge and and philosophies, and people tried uh, various types of communal living, uh, including the Oneida community, and the Mormons who exist today started with that kind of pattern. Um, and every twenty or thirty years, America... Starts a, uh, a round of of investigation and exploration of what's possible. Um, in the mid 1960s, three different um, uh, social uh, three, three, three different social movements were coming together. The civil rights movement of the of the 1940s and 50s and the 1960s was very strong, and it was uh, showing people that it was okay to be um, um, to be an activist. Uh, the, um, beat community of the 1950s had turned into the powerful, uh, uh communities of, uh, uh hippies. the hippies and the human potential movement yeah. uh, had started in the early 1960s. So by 1967, these were all coming together. And what happened in 1967 that was so important is that the Supreme Court came down in a ruling that said any adult of any race could marry an adult of another race that was earth shaking for our for our society. And from there we just went went forward. Um and and so we cover from that date on to the present um the things that people have learned, pe- the ways that people have learned to love and I'm never, how they're doing Woodstock but would Wood, Wood, Woodstock was was the very strong um uh hippie expression of uh of that same movement right
1: now do you feel like Throughout those fifty years, there have been times where it was more marginalized and less marginalized
2: as a lifestyle. Um, I find that we're reading things in mainstream, um, magazines, newspapers, and so forth all the time that make this much more mainstream. And when I stood up at a um ISI um meeting that connected to USC that, that my husband worked for. Um, and talked about our book, uh, nobody gave me the, you know, the, the uh, shock die or anything like that. And people asked me about it. It was pretty neat. So I don't think that could have happened 20 years ago.
0: Marginalized is a good, is a good term. Um, yeah. And, and the, the number of people that are interested in it has probably been the same throughout all the eras of society, but the, the knowledge that something might exist and the choice might be there is pretty new that, that we, we've we been talking about it and knowing about it only for the last, you know, so many years. And uh, media and social media certainly helped that.
2: When I have a client or, or a, a couple who are having a problem because he cheated on her and now he's to sleep on the couch for the rest of his life, and I've seen things like that, they come to me, um, and they find out that this lifestyle is one that exists and is lived by so many people, they may not decide to live this lifestyle. They may decide to go right back to monogamy, but suddenly it's not a self-righteous, I'm entitled to monogamy Think It's a, hmm, we're making this choice. This is, this is fine and it's for us, but they are less likely to feel it's necessary for him to sleep on the couch for the rest of his life. So right. I think that's really important because it, it becomes a choice rather than a given.
1: Right. What, Why do you think that so many of us in America do kind of fall back on monogamy as being somehow biologically natural? Do you feel like we're more biologically um, have more biological propensity towards one type of relationship uh, configuration
2: versus versus another? From what we can tell, it's not. Monogamy is not uh, biologically natural. Uh, Sex at Dawn uh, was a book that covered uh, pretty well uh, going through how a woman who uh, could cause as many men as possible to believe her baby could be his had an advantage that all of them were protecting her and the child. Another uh, surviving strategy is for the most powerful man of the tribe and the best hunter of the tribe to have all the women uh, as as his and thereby be a protector of his children as the most strong protector um neither of these is, is a monogamous lifestyle at all and there are so many more that you know it, it fills several books is you, you could just there are so many different things that it just can't possibly be biologically natural at all on the animal side, even supposedly monogamous swans of you know romantic, uh, Um, Foams and so forth, and and penguins actually are not monogamous at all. They also have several relationships. Um, Bonobos are famously poly and uh, openly so. So, uh, I I would say that there's there's nothing biological about this. The only biological thing I would find is that, you know, if we're attracted to other people when we're bonded with one person, it probably means we're more biologically poly. (laughs) Right.
1: Where do you think that romantic ideal of of one of the one
0: true love comes from? Uh this one is definitely on Terry's uh end being a fourth generation matchmaker. Right so I ran Terry's Body Introductions for
2: 40 years so I got a lot of ideas about that. Um my great grandmother um was a matchmaker in Russia um in the late 1800s and her matches were mainly based on on um, families agreeing that it was a good idea, on uh, it being maybe a good financial thing for both families or our lands are are joined or something. Um, then uh, it, it might be that the father of four daughters, like it toddler on the roof, wanted to be sure his daughters did not starve so they would match up with somebody that was a, an older, prosperous man. Um, then as women became more able to take care of themselves, uh and could have a job themselves, they didn't have to uh, marry whoever Papa picked anymore. So now they're marrying somebody they want to be with. It still matters even today if a man is a good provider or if a woman is a good cook, this is a good thing. People do are so concerned about that, but a whole lot less than they were many years ago. And today, people are much more likely to choose a partner because they're falling in love, or because there are reasonable things that they share in common, like lifestyle choices or an interest in science fiction, for example. As I speak to you from a house so filled with science fiction books that we can't possibly read them all since we both have collections of them, my husband Craig and I.
1: So speaking of science fiction, was that how both of you, I think you were saying this before, both of you got involved in thinking about polyamory through reading science fiction.
2: Well, sure. Stranger in Strange Land specifically. Sure. Now, that something interesting about that as it applies to right now today, Live the Dream is the oldest continuing nest of Church of All Worlds, which is based, it was the, it was the first neo-pagan religion of the United States, and it was based on Stranger in a Strange Land. So um, this is uh, the science fiction orientation uh, is is something that has become not just nationwide but worldwide through Church of All Worlds. There, there's lots of other science fiction authors now, of course, who do this. Uh, uh, Spider Robinson does, and uh, he's he's written books that just assume that polyamory is the norm. Um, and and he even winds up and finally he's got the whole the whole human race and a group marriage together mentally, you know, in his uh, uh, Star Dancer series. So there's a lot of, uh, of polyamory in science fiction, and originally it could be there because, oh, it'd be shocking if it was considered to be something normal today and real, but not anymore.
1: <laughs> what do you think you found so compelling about it when you were reading that originally?
2: I think what I found compelling about it, more than anything to do with the sexual lifestyle, I mean, when we read this, we were virgins. Yes. You know? <laughs> so, uh, I found the idea of chosen family really important to me the idea that you could have people that stay in your life and are part of your life for many many years like family would be um and i have a family like that of water brothers people that are part of our nest um the uh most recent one that joined it um well no that's not true we've had a couple of times ago uh Drina is 80 years old and is one of our water brothers and has become very much a part of my life. And uh, I can go to her place for, um, I can show up for a Christmas uh, uh, celebration or whatever. And yep, I'm, up, I'm welcome there, just like I would be in my mother's home. And Glenn's father, um, who I've called pop for many, many years, always introduced me as his daughter. And that was really special and important to me since I was 50 years old, you know so um I think the idea that you could have more than one uh significant other is very important, and I certainly have lived that throughout my life um
0: from the time I was uh and you know,
2: yeah
0: yeah and, and, um and, and and to follow up on on your question, one of the things that uh, that was so nice about the kind of, uh, science fiction that included that, uh, those ideas is mostly the, the characters actually grow. They get better. They, they learn how to make connections with people. That was kind of showing the world doesn't always have to, uh, go in the wrong direction. Things don't always have to end badly. Um, they were tales that were, uh, positive and hopeful and and gave you an idea saying maybe you can put positive and hopeful things in your life whatever it is you decide to do um, these are the ones that uh, that this character has chosen to do and say oh let's see about that Mm. and in real life that does happen so we
2: prefer that to like dystopias you know (laughs) that makes sense what
1: you guys are talking about is not the kind of, it's not the way that I feel like polyamory is usually spoken about, which is maybe more of an emphasis on having multiple sexual partners. And not saying that that's not part of what polyamory means to you, but it sounds much more like kind of all encompassing as a lifestyle. It sounds
2: like it has to do with the way that you relate to your friends and your... Well, I'd like to kind of address that. Um, Certainly I've had multiple partners and uh, from the time I was first married and and had my kids and, and raised them in an open uh, marriage, um, I've, I've been married three times, the first one I had my children with. and uh, we always we had other partners and we were very much a part of family synergy and then lived the dream. and our children were brought up that way. very important to kids, by the way. Um, may I get to one of those other questions that you had in here about that? Okay, because it seems it's appropriate here uh children have the advantage of lots of different role models if you've got you know uh like six parents you can make a real difference whether they live with you or they just you know visit frequently or whatever they've got all sorts of role models they've got people who love them and who care about them and they can't possibly be orphaned because if one parent dies there are you know four other parents who love them and care about them and they can stay home and be with them, rather than be farmed out to foster homes or relatives they barely know and that sort of thing. They get to stay with their family. Um, It also, uh, in Heinlein's books, like Moon is a Harsh Mistress, uh, talks about conserving capital and be able to pass on the capital to the children and to the children's children and all of this kind of stuff, because it simply works better when you do it that way. That's like a line marriage, a multi-generational group marriage. it's it's better for the children, and that was a major interest to me as a young woman having children. Now, to gumming up the present reality, you know, the second husband that I had, I was married to for, I was married to my first one for 14 years, my second one for 15 years. That second one is still part of my life today, visits us regularly, was part of my birthday celebration, he and his wife. And um, my, my husband of five years and I, who the man I tend to spend the rest of my life with, Craig. Uh, have an open relationship, and we we love the partners that are in our lives, and uh, we got a big enough bed so that um, Paul and Athena and my, my second husband Paul could uh, you know comfortably sleep in the same bed with us when they visit, instead of Paul having to go back and forth and so forth. Uh, and you know, multiple relationships really works for me, and is important in my life but that's not all there is in polyamory. That gal who's 80 years old that is part of our lives is polyamorous without being polysexual, and that's legitimate too. Right. He loves many people as grandchildren and great-grandchildren all over the house, and, and her water brothers visit her at the same time, you know?
1: When people think about having multiple sexual partners or m- multiple romantic partners, I something that always comes up is the idea of jealousy. Um, is it is it really as in, as large of an issue as people seem to think it is or or must be is
2: jealousy really a constant battle in a polyamorous relationship well we we really don't have too much problems with it these days in the relationships that we have i will say there are two kinds of jealousy one is time jealousy which means wow this person only has a certain amount of time in their life and and Four different partners want it, you'll have to take Tuesday night, you know, the time management. I have a whole time management thing that I've written on that subject. If anybody's interested in how to handle that, it was based on what I what I did for uh, you know, people that had businesses and needed to have time management, but I did one that's uh, for time enough for love based on high Heinle- an homage to High Lines Time Enough for Love. And it's specific. You have 168 hours of your week, how can you fit everybody into them? And I have it down to a, a science. So that's time jealousy, and that's a little different than the other kind of jealousy, which is worrying about a loss in a partner you love. Now, sometimes that's real. I had a horrible thing happen to me at one point that darn near made me monogamous, where I had a, a marriage breakup and a, a quadrad and, and what had been a, a triad for five years breakup. And it was because I wasn't alert to... I was about to lose a partner. I was about to have my marriage get broken up after all these years. And because I wasn't um, looking that that might happen, it did happen. And so sometimes it's legit to have jealousy issues. And sometimes it's not. A lot of times people are worried they're going to lose a partner where there's no chance they're going to lose that partner. Their partner is is, is, is as in love with them as they always were. And they're just insecure within themselves that's the kind of jealousy i could deal with with hypnosis you're insecure within yourself you need to be secure within yourself and believe in your relationship
0: but you shouldn't uh, just turn off the signs that you might be having a problem here either it, it can be a warning it definitely can be a warning sign um the uh, the fear of loss is something that's you know just not it's it, that one is built into our genetics um to to, to, to worry about losing what one has um, one of the expressions of that looks like jealousy. Um, and, and often it's uh, a cry for reassurance, uh, or it's a challenge, saying, is, you know, what is going on here now? Um, and that's how people who are really good, uh, who learn how to make agreements and how to negotiate and and say, this is what I will do, this is who I am uh, with each other. They're the ones that have more success actually in all parts of life, but definitely in their relationships, whether it's a monogamous relationship or one that's got many partners.
2: Another thing that really helps the jealousy issues is that more people these days are bisexual and the jealousy issues are a whole lot different in that kind of a situation. Jealousy issues frequently don't even happen in such a situation. I find they're very rare where you're sharing your partners. Mm
1: -hmm. Why? Why even have a primary partner if you, if you have so many other partners? Like, what? Why even introduce a partnership that could
0: that could make you jealous? Wow.
2: Okay, why don't I start? Why okay. don't I start on that? One? Okay. Um,
0: uh, the uh, the term primary actually comes from psychology and it's been around a long time. Um, in in psychology, a person's primary partner or primary relationship is the person that is closest to the center of their life. Um, and and for most people, there is someone that is, or some people that are in the closest to the center of your life. Um, these days, uh, it is being seen as hierarchical, but it didn't start off that way. It started off just as a description of who is the most, infer- most important person in the center of one's life, where you spend the most time with, possibly. Um, you may share resources uh live and live you know either together or with uh you know, or sharing somehow
2: maybe raising but. kids together
0: so um so way back when we when we start our book um there is a organization called family synergy and they adopted the term primary relationship because they were mostly people in the beginning who were in couples who were looking to to build more loving relationships around their marriage war build multiple marriages and they had to have a term for, well, who are we? What are we? Well, we are a primary, um, a relationship. We share resources. We might be raising kids together. We're, uh, we are facing the future together. We're making plans to, uh, to conquer the future as a team. Uh, and so that's, that was the genesis of the primary relationship. And then it says, well, there's this other person that I really love. Um, uh, but what do I call you? I, I I see you less often. I'm probably not going to take out an automobile loan with you. Um, I'm, I'm You're unlikely to pay for any of my kids' college tuition. Who are you? Um, and they came up with the term secondary relationship. So people who are further from the center of our lives, the term secondary relationship came to be. And then people who are even further away, we, you might love very, very much but you only see once or twice a year or a or under under other you know under less central circumstances is a it, they came up with the term tertiary relationships. So that's how it started. Um and yeah there are people um today we have such a rich society um with uh, so many resources uh people can actually be by themselves if they want to be. Um you do not need to have to put a person in what we consider the primary relationship location if you want everybody can be a secondary some people run their lives that way it's not what most people choose either consciously or unconsciously but it but it is a choice and some people make it as a political choice so no you don't have to pick somebody as primary it certainly is one of those Team building experiences and and life building experiences that most people choose.
2: So I find I need a primary partner to, to whom I come first, and I can feel secure in that relationship. That's my choice. Um, as as Glenn mentioned, there's something called solo poly now, which I'm not exactly sure the meaning of that. And the person who I first heard the uh, the the uh, word from became my water brother, and and she is. Uh, she's questioning whether she could call herself solo poly anymore because she's become so much a part of our lives but who knows anyway so um i've had secondary relationships that have lasted longer than any marriage that i've been in i've had secondary relationships that have lasted 30 years and where i really was in love with these people but like glenn said they aren't the people that i'm going to take out a car loan with. they aren't the people who are going to pay when the roof needs to be fixed and so forth um so there's love and there's practicality. Um, I was five years um, in a triad, which um, it was uh, the closest I ever came to having two primary relationships at the same time, because I, I really loved them both. One of them was legally married to me, doesn't one? Is still in my life? Well, they both still in my life in different ways, but um, they. Um, like them both as my husbands because they both were my husbands. We'd had a formal hand fasting and we uh we wore uh, you know, a ring that's that's uh, gold and, and sapphire and so forth. So yeah. Um it it it's possible to have co primary, but more rare.
1: In terms of having a primary partner, do you find that it's most helpful to have uh to be really open about rules and um like ways of organizing your life together, it seems like there needs to be some ground rules in order for yeah. all of oh, them. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely there are. And when you don't have them and somebody feels like they were assumed and they become violated, there you got problems. I believe in real agreements that
0: both of you are aware of and have discussed and and use. And the wonderful thing about that is that people have been inventing those agreements for the last fifty years. We we'll talk a little bit about that uh, in our book, and you talk about it at Live the Dream meetings. Um, you know, e- even though, and there were contracts that people sometimes have, they'll write up, and I'm, we've shared
2: those at Live the Dream meetings too. Um, I think they're a good idea, actually, because then you know exactly what the two of you agreed on.
0: And and, and it's a good way to practice saying what you want out loud. Yeah. And and being very successful in in creating relationships. It's a little bit of work, but uh, the benefits are pretty damn good. Thank
1: you both so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: Francis, thank you so much. We appreciate being here.